0: Oh my, what a smorgasbord we have for you today. Iron Age societies in the 1980s. Viking ships, gang warfare. Bloody uh, missionaries. Yeah, we might accidentally have legitimized the criminal underworld in Denmark. <laughs> Honor shame societies, Viking homophobia. Hmm. What about the Evil Dead movies? Did they actually happen in the sixth century? This is another episode of the Brute Norse Podcast, and who are you? Well, it's uh, an all-familiar voice, I hope. From the Hyperborean Plains yes. up in Skansa. Uh, finally got Axel with us again. It's been a few episodes, or maybe just one episode in between, actually, because I haven't had much time to record. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, we got Axel a, a new microphone uh, so that he can... Uh, we don't have to actually be together in the same room to record. So I think that's for the betterment of the of the podcast, maybe.
1: <laughs> well, um, I would, of course, like to thank you for uh, for essentially spending resources on, on buying me a microphone. So I guess that makes you my sugar daddy, in a way.
0: Uh, well, actually, <laughs> I got that money from my sugar daddies. Oh, that's uh, true, yeah. Trickle down effects. Because I, could, I wouldn't be able to, of course, but... um. But yeah, it's all thanks to the generous patrons. Well, so yeah, um, I'm here in New York. I'm Eirik Storsund, of course, you know, this is just so I have myself introduced in case you didn't know already, <laughs> listening to the Brut Noise podcast um, from my little apartment slash recording studio slash textile mill slash wood shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, supposedly my home, but looks like somebody's garage. Yeah. And where are you? I'm currently residing on the island of Kormt. The island of our home homeland, if you will. Um, yes, good old Carmel Good old
1: Carme, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: But you've been uh, you've been traveling around yes, a little bit.
1: I've been a busy guy, really. Where have you been? Oh well, where haven't I been? Uh, no, I mean uh, this last year now has been quite a busy uh, year for me. Uh, I've been working at a museum for the better part of uh, well, nearly eight months. And it's been a productive year. And um, uh, the museum is located in eastern Norway um, at a place called
0: Hønefoss. Hønefoss, yes. yes.
1: Uh, which is um, an hour north of Oslo, which is the capital of Norway.
0: Yeah, so what is this museum? Is it like... Um... it? It's an archaeological museum, uh, but it has an op-
1: open-air uh, museum Outdoors, which is a longhouse that is based on a longhouse that once stood there about 2,000 years ago uh, during the early Roman Iron
0: Age. Ah, oh, far
1: out. Yeah. Um,
0: so, so that's right up your alley. I oh, yes. It's, it's, I suppose. It's,
1: it's definitely, definitely up my alley. And um, so, yeah, so I've been working there uh, as a museum
0: educator, but also
1: doing research.
0: Yeah, but you had the the exhibit. Yes. Um, what was that like? Um... Uh,
1: it's an exhibit uh, about the uh, military life in the Roman army. Of course, one of the most mainstream questions we get is, were the Romans ever here? Uh, that is, of course, in, in Skansa, in Scandinavia. Yeah. And, uh, to the dismay of many a man, uh, we have to say no. Um, it is, of course, the other way around. Uh, and I think that's kind of fitting, uh, narrative to how it is nowadays with people traveling down to, to the Mediterranean, drinking, partying, fornicating, uh, taking drugs, uh, which pretty much is like a, uh, drugs? Well, I mean, there's the occasional uh, party dragger and two, I suppose, many a Norwegian. Uh, yeah, who knows what they did in the <laughs> Mithras cults down on the. Well, exactly the is what I mean. I mean, it's it's this is a, clearly a direct uh, link between now and then. Something never changed.
0: A little bit more uh, fighting going on in those days, though. Oh
1: yes, definitely. But uh, wouldn't do, wouldn't, I mean, uh, Scandinavians get into fights fighting. Is
0: yeah, well, we we still do fight in, like, the Canary Islands and stuff, but it's kind of <laughs> a little more disorganized, I, yeah, I reckon. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 definitely. Um, no, but, I mean, when when, when all is said, uh, I think it's, uh, it, it, it's good to let
0: out some steam every now and then. Yeah, that's true. Which, of course, is just what you did now. Something to take the edge off. Yeah. Speaking of which, have you been uh, doing any good fermentation experiments lately? Or? Oh, I
1: have, oh, I have. I've been making my own cider, actually. Uh, Your own with, cider, oh. Yeah, uh, one might say that uh, one god's name is uh, is uh, is a Scandinavian doing making cider, you know, considering that Scandinavia isn't really known for their ciders.
0: That's because of the nanny state, they've been trying to hamper yeah, our yeah. cider making for for the past hundred years. No, unfortunately, yeah. I never thought about Upper Inland Norway as uh, a fruit country, really.
1: No, 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 no. Uh, but but it, is, it is very much a um, uh, fruit country uh, and berry country. A lot of berries all over the place. Um, and people, you know, of course, uh, commercializing it. Making both, you know, uh, apple juice and their own local ciders, etc, etc, etc. So I guess I was kind of like um, bit by the bug in a way. Uh, taken by, uh, by my surroundings. And um, there were so many apples. Just like loaded all over the place and people were just letting them rot um so i was like the opportunist in me uh so uh, a good op- opportune moment to, to to essentially just uh enriching myself on my own home food um oh that's good and it was really good as well uh, it is actually i i had to give away bottles because
0: i made too much of it but uh yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um. That's one of the things I missed the most actually of uh, living in Norway during autumn because you could go to the farmer's market mm. and just buy a gallon of apple juice at a time mm, mm, mm. and they would always warn you but it's kind of a secret advertisement. <laughs> you better drink this soon because it'll turn into cider. I'm like, I'm d- yeah, I know. <laughs> in the last episode of the podcast, oh. I was talking about uh, the possibility of Vinland wine. You know, that's a tall tale you know, from the sagas, Mm-mm. based on folk etymology, yeah. that uh, that the Vinland colony was, like, renowned for its wine or something like that. Just, that's bullshit. But <laughs> but I, I haven't been able to shake this idea, you know, what would this taste like? No. So I came across some uh, some grape juice at the farmer's market down in Union Square, and they had the same warning. They said, you have to drink this soon because it's going to turn into wine. All the better, <laughs> if you ask me. But... Woe is me. Yeah, but you know what? It was a huge disappointment because it didn't happen. The whole thing just went foul and I had to pour it out. It's a shame, really. Yeah, it stunk horribly.
1: I mean, what happened to me is that um, I didn't really have any containers to, to brew in, so I just had to use uh, whatever cauldrons I could find. But I also mixed in Um, uh, Solberg,
0: um Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sulberg, Sulberg. 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 Uh, Black Sulberg, yeah, black Blackcurrants, yeah, um, oh, blackcurrants. That's nice.
1: Yeah, it was really lovely. It has to be said, though, what I first made was apple wine. It was stale, it was flat, it was very strong. It was mm. uh, headache juice. Uh, Good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in, like, the folklore surrounding brewing in Norway, mm. that's some of the appeal of allegedly poisonous plants. Mm. And that's the origin of the entire like idea that bog myrtle, which was a common additive to beer mm-hmm. traditionally, uh, that this is uh, dangerous, you know, because there's this idea that if it induces headaches, um, that's proof of how strong it is, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So a lot of the beers that people made for festive occasions um, was supposed to be very strong. Yeah. You know, that was the ideal. So anything that kind of gave them that extra buzz, even if they had to, like, uh, come up with this... These urban legends, mm. almost, you know, to to make it more popular. That's what they did. Mm. When hops started uh, suppressing traditional herbs, that was actually one of the key selling points. Mm. Well, hops will preserve your beer; it will make it nice and bitter, but there's something narcotic about these other <laughs> herbs. And of course, you know, that's uh, uh, strictly not true, but... Hmm. Interesting. But yeah. Yeah,
1: but I mean, I, ju- I just have to say, though, that of course what I did use was my own wild yeast. I, I-, I cultivated my own wild yeast... So it wasn't Good. store-bought or anything. Uh, of course, they they tend to be a bit more unreliable. Um, so I did have one batch that turned into vinegar, uh, while the rest turned into cider. Um, yeah. So so and it was it was essentially from the same batch, mind you, um, but in different containers and they were all sterilized, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but still,
0: anything can happen with those wild yeast strains. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Well, a brew before, as you well know, based on berries, essentially. And that was really, really, really good. Yeah, you talked a lot about
0: your berry wine. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, that was from uh, raspberries, was. Uh, raspberry wine, mm. uh, and it was fresh and good, but, and 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 everything you wish for, really. And that was also wild yeast. So definitely, I mean, uh, uh, wild yeast—they're—they're—they're they're, they're really, 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 really uh, interesting uh, thing to experiment with uh, if you if you're into brewing. I think.
0: Um, Yeah, a big question, you know, to draw this mm. into a more historical territory, Um, there's the question of what did fermented beverages taste like in the past. And the big issue here is that even if you have a recipe, you need the correct type of yeast. And since yeast is an organism that just changes and mutates Mm -hmm. wildly Mm -hmm. and often works with or against other microbes. it's very hard yeah. to determine <laughs> what something would have tasted. Yeah, definitely. We can't tell, we, you know, we, we simply don't know. No. But would they have had, like, lacto-fermented and, uh, like, these uh, mm. um sort of strains? Yeah, probably. You have Norwegian farmhouse yeasts yeah, that they're just, like, uncovering um, yeah. now, which are, like, this weird mix of yeast strains. Mm. Some of them they didn't even know existed in Scandinavia. Nope. You know, they're kind of exotic ones and mixed with brewer's yeast and bacteria, mm. and it gives, like, gives off this taste like nothing else. Yeah. I imagine that something similar must have existed in, you know, in the Iron Age, for instance. Yeah, I, I, presumably, it was cultivated over time. Yeah,
1: I definitely think that's yeah. uh, a good point. And I think, uh, in a way, when people uh, traveled to each other to taste each other's brew, essentially, they're also tasting each other's yeast, in a way. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's an overlooked... Um, Element in brewing uh, in, 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 uh, in the past, regardless of, of when it is, it might be the 19th century or it might be the 9th century,
0: um, yeah. uh, pre-industrialized brewing. If you see the folkloristic material from later times, mm. there's a lot of opinions about what good beer is supposed to be. Mm, you mm, know? Mm, mm, mm. And the techniques vary immensely. Like, oh, definitely. It's not only about like, what is the grain bill and what did they add to their beer, but in the Viking Age, we don't even know if they boiled their beer. Nope. And um, there are techniques in Norwegian farmhouse brewing where farmers actually poured boiling water on the grains, Mm. (laughs) which uh, on the malt, which is uh, actually from a like a technical perspective a horrible idea because it unleashes (laughs) uh, these off flavors. Yeah,
1: a foul taste, I would say.
0: It's also the fact that like. the enzymes only really work within like a temperature range. Mm. And if it's too hot, you just kill it. Mm, mm, mm. You're still extracting sugars. You're still converting starch to sugar at that point. You know, there's, I don't even remember what the book was called, but there's uh, there's, like a two volume work uh, about Anglo-Saxon food and drink. Oh yeah. And that actually has some really good discussions Uh, on fermented mm. beverages. They wonder if um, the Anglo-Saxon word beer Mm which is the same as Old Norse björ, uh-huh. current Icelandic björ, you know, uh-huh. we've lost this word in Norwegian, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they ask if this could be a word for cider, you know, or what, what exactly was this beverage, because it's often assumed to be a very strong ale. I don't even remember the author, but it was a... She speculates that it could be cider. Then there's a the question, you know, you need a, a cider press mm. to make Oh, yeah, it yeah, 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 yeah. Just,
1: uh, yeah. It had to be said, though, that making, uh, making cider is very time-consuming because you need to mash yeah. the pota- uh, mash potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> You need to mash the apples. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and, that, and that's very labor-intensive.
0: And that's what we find. There's no specific cider tradition in, in many areas because of that reason. But it has know? to
1: be said as well, though, that it didn't have uh, the orchards that we have from well, at least yeah. in New York from the Middle Ages onwards. So it would have been like crab apples uh, and, and, yeah, yeah, and exactly, those yeah. kinds of apples. So they wouldn't have been um, essentially hybridized uh, with, uh, well, as far as we know, at least, um, with apples from like Southern Europe or something uh, where they have cultivated yeah. apples. So these would have been less um well, I mean, I wouldn't say less uh, available um, because crab apple trees seem to have been quite widespread at one point uh, and then they receded because they got uh, cross um, uh, pollinated uh, with uh, domesticated uh, apples. And, yeah, uh, so popular fruits yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I definitely think that uh, crab apples, uh, which of course aren't really that big, could have been used for making cider. Um, yeah. Or
0: some, some... It's kind of speculative, I suppose. Yeah, of you know? course,
1: uh, we'll we'll never have a certain answer to it. But it has to be said, of course, that in the Olsberg ship, they did find apples, uh, which most likely were yeah, crab yeah. apples, uh, based upon the rough estimate of their size. Uh, but they had they had different. Uh, they seemed to have had like a red sheen to them, uh, which would probably indicate they might not be that uh, feral, uh, to say that that wild, um, mm, as, as mm. is often the case yeah. with crab apples. That's interesting um,
0: because they tend to be more greenish or yellowish tint. Another thing like that there isn't a lot of tradition surrounding in, in Norway is of course uh, making wine as well like berry wine. Mm. There are mentions of it in the sagas sometimes. There's uh, specifically there's uh, the talk about crowberry wine. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to be frankly honest, though, I think uh, we have to take into account that the, these cultures, they're um, agricultural societies, you know, they they base their, yeah. their whole lifestyle uh, on farming. Berry picking back then would have been something you would do uh, when they're seasoned for it and you wouldn't necessarily cultivate berries.
0: Um, no, no, no. Well, that's, that's to, to how date. it always ha- has been in, in the Nordic. You know, it's, it's, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's something you forage on certain times of the year and, you, you know, you send the kids out to do it or something.
1: Elderly or, or, or anyone that has spare time to do so. But it's like an addition to the kitchen, if you will. Yeah, yeah. It's a supplement. Supplement, yeah. And it's not something you, you, you base your whole lifestyle around, like with the vineyards, for instance, you know, in, in France or in uh, Spain or Italy. Uh, and that, that might yeah. be more, more, more of a later introduction. In, in, in at least we, we know they did so in the Middle Ages, mind you. But uh, but of course, to to, to smaller scale, that we what we would assume would have been um, come later on uh, throughout the um, seventeenth and eighteenth century, uh, as far as we can tell, at least.
0: Yeah, Patrick McGovern has um, some thoughts about uh, the presence of berries in. Um Prehistoric mm, Nordic mm, uh, mm, mm. beverages, like he says that uh, it might be a question of um, availability of sugar. Definitely, you, know, that you want to yeah. up, you want to raise the sugar content to make a stronger product. Yeah. But I think that can't account for all of it. I think no, 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 no. because uh, this other scholar, Marin Dinley, points out uh, quite correctly. I think you don't actually need any additional sugar sources when you have malt. This is very true. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Because you have enough starch, essentially, so, yeah. Yeah, so if you have enough to make beer, you can make a stronger beer, mm. you know? Mm. 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 But, so, I think that there must be, a, like, a mix. There must be a cultural reason yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for the addition of different sources of sugar. And it must, of course, be based in part of, you know, based on uh, the palate. Yeah, you know, and, what and, and availability, what is, I would say, uh, regional differences, yeah.
1: because uh, you might have... Um, you no, know, a lot of blueberries in an area. Oh, that what we call blueberries. Yeah, what yeah, we, 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 we yeah. will call blueberries, uh, which is... Yeah. Uh, the,
0: uh, the Yankees don't call it that. No, exactly.
1: Um, <laughs> um,
0: Lingonberries has quite a presence in the, yeah, yeah. in the early material. And one thing that is kind of surprising or interesting here is the presence of uh, resins and mm. uh, pitch. This shows just how complicated and how hard it can be to tell what exactly is going on here. If you find traces of different uh, materials in a jar, that does not mean that all of this was in the jar at the same time. It could just be, you know, unwashed jar. It could be a mixed drink, could be anything. The issue sometimes is, do we have a beverage that is a mix of mead, beer, and fruit wine? Mm, mm. Or is it three different beverages? And, 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 <laughs> you know? and
1: there's also the uh, the, the, the difficulty to, to to say with certainty that uh, if you do find remains essentially, for instance, beeswax, that it might actually be in a coating in that yeah. uh, container. Um,
0: That's so. exactly what I was getting at. Because we know that they used uh, resins and pitch yeah. to repair glasses yes. and to seal drinkware. Mm. So... Uh, as tantalizing as the idea is of uh, seasoning a beverage with pitch mm. have you ever had a retina that uh, the greek wine with pine resin yeah 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 I, I, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. it's quite nice it is it is i think it's quite lovely some people hate it
1: well, it seems but uh, Cunts. Th- th- their loss i would say uh, yeah. an our gain uh, if
0: anything <laughs> yeah for those who don't remember we've we've talked about uh, Mediterranean beverages Well, I would say cocktails but, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: wine cocktails
0: <laughs> what is this episode this is the uh, this is the episode about nothing we're just talking about fermented beverages uh, the Scandifuturist cocktail hour I suppose yeah yeah why not what else um any favorite archaeological finds so far this year for 2018 I mean where do you begin um, of course uh, we do
1: have one in Norway uh, in, in the eastern periphery of Norway more specifically
0: oh yeah the uh the ship in the <laughs> yellow star yes, in in Halden exactly. they're, they're calling it a a viking ship but do we really know yet
1: no. uh it's clickbait
0: isn't it <laughs> uh do they have any idea about the dating for it yet no, or is of it still uh, i mean still...
1: it's a relative dating based upon um the the area essentially uh, and what has been found during uh, metal detecting surveys
0: yeah they found some remains of longhouses yes. as well on the site yes 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 yeah yes. So. so so this was a viking ship on in Yellowstad mm. by halden never heard of the place before but uh they found it by geo radar. Yeah. They they just have like an X ray basically of the ground.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, it is a scan. Uh, but yeah, you could you could of course draw the analogy with an X ray. But they don't use uh, of course <laughs> the same technology. <laughs> and it, and it, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say because what's happening now though not not to make it like a big topic, but is is if this can replace traditional archaeology uh, yeah. by by essentially doing geo radar um, surveys. Uh, so you don't have to dig uh, and that will save a lot of money and a lot of uh, tears and uh...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I think that that's what everybody's expecting yeah. Yeah. people in the public are expecting that people will excavate this but that might not actually happen no no no
1: no no and I think that's sorry
0: um, I think that's um, definitely
1: something uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, discussion and it's mm-hmm. What what most people think is that if you localize something uh, of such a, uh, not just national importance, but international importance, um, Mm. such as a potentially new uh, Viking Age ship, uh, which of course could also be pre-Viking, mind you. It could be uh, from (laughs) the Mendel period, (laughs) (laughs) or the Merovingian period, depending upon your, your preference um so so it could date to you know between the sixth century and the eighth century uh just as well as uh as the Viking age. what is archaeology of course, the archaeology is is essentially studying the past through the physical remains of the people that lived on this planet before us Uh mm. so so it, it it's literally in 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 the name archaeologist uh and this is uh, essentially a ship that is most likely well withered by now uh, yeah
0: we don't even know if there's anything left of it no
1: no no no, no. so so, so was most likely what we're um looking at is, is is a ship that is um just essentially an imprint in the landscape and nothing else
0: it's a ship mm. it's ship size mm. essentially uh and yeah, it's that, the and, first and it has ship n- in a while
1: not a boat size because there's a distinction between a boat and a ship uh, yeah 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 in, ter- in terms of the size of the vessel
0: and we've found quite a few boats actually. Oh, yeah. um, in the last few years, you know. But but it's, but and, they uh, rarely
1: get that attention though in in media. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so it's mainly uh, a matter of scale yeah. at this point. And uh, there are other sites that are speculated to to be boat burials. Hmm. So it's not totally unheard of. No, no 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 no. This, you know, what would be unheard of is if we have a complete Viking ship along the lines of uh, of what we have on display in Oslo. Yeah 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 yeah. And that's that's probably too much. To hope for.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of what people are expecting. They're expecting yeah. that kind of uh, a sensation. And, you know, Oseberg and Goksta and, you know, these famous ships that were excavated uh, a century ago now, they're in, in a unique uh, preservation uh, due to uh, the fact circumstances. And, 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 of course, not least of all, uh, the, the location they were once. Uh, inhumed into uh, that is of course the burial mounds.
0: Oseberg was basically encased in clay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. that's very rare exactly, to find. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so from my understanding is that the um, the soil in that area is definitely not of a quality that you would expect to find a completely preserved uh, Viking age or pre-Viking age ship. But in terms of, of of spending money on this, considering the fact that we do have ships now at the museum in Oslo, the Viking Ship Museum, that yeah. they don't have money to maintain. So why yeah. would you even spend money on excavating a ship when you already have ships that need to yeah, exactly. be direly, you know, taken care yeah, of? And the, for, the state for, of, uh,
0: of funding uh, for these projects in Norway right <clears throat> now is totally horrendous. Yeah. You know? it's, uh, it's tragic,
1: really. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, Håkon shit league—he's—he's turning in his grave. He's—he's <laughs> <laughs> he's spinning. Yeah, it's—it's it's, it's a great shame, really. Uh, but I mean, uh, of course, I don't think it will come to that, uh, where where the ships will deteriorate uh, in such a way that it will be nothing left of the ships. Um, and, and if you were the prime minister, you wouldn't want that on your resume, you could say. <laughs> it happened on your watch. Oh yeah, but that's uh,
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's one of the risks they're running, I suppose. Um, yeah, I guess. I remember, I remember <laughs> the first time I went to the to the Viking Ship Museum. Mm. And they were talking about how the, the sleds from Oseberg mm. are falling apart. They might one day just collapse in front of our eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on, under
1: their own weight, essentially.
0: Mm. Imagine if an earthquake hit Oslo. Not a huge chance, but it could happen. You know, a small one. Mm, mm, mm. You know, they do happen from time oh, yeah, to time. They that do, could they, they do, do massive damage to those ships.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah definitely. Or any other... Kind of uh, vibration,
0: or just ju- just someone smashing
1: yeah. the uh, the, uh, the the glass
0: case, essentially. Hot and... tip for those who hate the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been a few of those instances. You have got <coughs> those jewels in Sweden that were stolen. Somebody tried to snag the Magna Carta as well in, in the UK.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, the, like the, the jewels in, in Sweden. Yeah, that was the uh, the crown and wasn't it the scepter uh, to uh, yeah. the the Swedish king Karl. Uh, King Karl uh, the something- which, which one, which yeah, one yeah I can't I mean, like uh, something Karl XII it might, might have been I actually what is, don't know. Is, have... it,
0: is it that guy yeah I don't know yeah I have no yeah. idea I, I'm not a an expert on Swedish monarchy no I think as, not a, as a Norwegian it's sort of our duty to to kind of disregard that uh, <laughs> that tradition well both Danish and, <laughs> but- and Swedish monarchy,
1: uh, monarchy. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah which kind of an irony because the Norwegian uh, monarchy is of course Danish but yeah
0: there you go yeah, that's that's true. Or, but but or opposite,
1: I have always been intrigued about uh, the whole uh, underground market for stealing uh, antiquities and antiques, uh, and that there's actually someone that's willing to pay for it and
0: and, and risk yeah um, this this potential. And where are you gonna put it? Yeah, exactly. In your penthouse in Dubai. But who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? There's uh, you know people do all sorts of stuff. They
1: do. They do. Um... I mean, are you going to use it for like Halloween or something, or or do you just...
0: (laughs) When do you... (laughs) When do you use it? We talked about this before, Uh, collector's pride. Yeah. Yeah. People who uh, are nighthawks, you know, who do this metal detector stuff, they just can't keep a lid on what they do. No. You know, they keep on bragging about it. And it's got to be the same with these people too, who have these illegal collections. Why would anybody care about it if it's for their eyes only? There's there's a degree of vanity here that is kind of out of character with the whole like underground thing.
1: Definitely, yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's unless
0: they're like Chinese or something, you know, because probably in uh, this is a good rabbit hole actually because there's been some heists in Norway mm-hmm. in the past oh, yes. with uh, Chinese artifacts being taken from museums yep. and turning up in China. Yep. There was one artifact that turned up uh, in a display case. At the Be- Be- Beijing, Beijing airport. Yeah, so basically, I don't know if I dare call it a conspiracy theory, but there's this idea that maybe the Chinese government is funding these uh, criminals to forcefully return Chinese artifacts. Because they don't acknowledge, of course, the. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. They, but yeah, they also yeah. have middlemen and
1: everything, you know, so definitely doesn't necessarily trace back to the, yeah. uh, the government as uh, such. But um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that there's powerful Chinese lobbies who are willing to yeah. finance those sorts of. I don't have any proof of this claim. No, of course, no, 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 no. That's it's... that's what they say. Uh, so hopefully yeah. you don't
1: have any uh, Chinese listeners that's uh, offended now from, uh, from from your
0: insinuations. Well,. I... I'm not so fearful of the Chinese listeners. I'm more (laughs) fearful of the Chinese government. Well, I
1: mean, it depends upon
0: who's listening, isn't it? (laughs) they are going to blacklist me. (laughs) My social credit is going to hit rock bottom.
1: No, but I mean, uh, in all honesty, though, yeah, definitely. I think uh, there are also other instances where um, there are indications that um, different governments might have been involved in, in these heists. Uh, to return uh, what they would deem as natural treasures. So this is, of course, identity-related. Because that's what I find interesting uh, when it comes to, to, to artifacts, essentially, is that they they can have strong meaning and emotional meaning. That that becomes very, very, very important for not just individuals, but also groups, tribes, if you will. Um, it's not impossible that uh, these heists uh, have, have actually been orchestrated by by uh, by by uh r- rich people with good good agendas or so they think at least
0: yeah you don't have to tell us uh what sort of importance and how much emotional power artifacts uh can have mm. you know on a national memory i've been paying attention to the news lately and i'm um, trying to see how i could frame this uh in a way that our listeners might appreciate and um uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on these are interesting times to be alive oh, yes you know the, the that american jackass who was killed by the sentinelese islanders you know i'm, I'm sure that you're aware of that uh, it's, it's... oh yeah what was his yeah. name john allen chow wasn't it? I don't even remember. No, uh, I, I, actually, <laughs> I actually have
1: been reading yeah. up on it because what I found interesting about that case was how he met uh, what you could quote-unquote call a prehistoric people and how yeah. much hatred there was and then he took notes of what happened his encounters. So he described what happened essentially, how they reacted what? to his there, prisons. Yeah, there, yeah. He, he, there's
0: sources left?
1: Yeah, he wrote a journal uh, I think it was like 13 pages um, and he sent a letter back home to his parents as well uh, where he then goes on to talk about if they kill me, don't hate them, show show kindness, show mercy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, so, so we do have written accounts, his written accounts on his uh, of his account uh, encounter with the natives, if you will.
0: Yeah, that's bizarre it's because that, uh, uh, it must have been lost in all the memes about uh, missionaries <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but. Uh, what is fascinating mm. about this, because this ties directly into one of the previous episodes that we made, mm. and uh, this is that uh, the Sentinelese only entered the Iron Age in 1981. Yes, it's very fascinating.
1: I think that... <laughs> yeah. but, but, but that but that's also kind of rings true to how it was in much of Africa. Uh, they never had a Bronze Age. They, yeah. they went from the Stone Age directly to the Iron Age. Yeah, so, exactly.
0: Uh... Okay, so the Sentinelese are notoriously aggressive to all foreign contact, mm. Every once in a while, somebody will like pop by to see if they're doing okay or like try to establish contact with them and they'll just, you know, fire a barrage of arrows at them. Mm, mm, mm. Interestingly, these, you know, attacks can be analyzed. You know, you can determine a little bit uh, about their society just on uh, how they choose to react Mm. to foreign attempts at communication. Initially, they had more like Stone Age technology, but after a freighter crashed into the island yep. in 1981, they suddenly had access to metal. <laughs> so they started making metal spearheads uh, and and but uh, mind you scrap, scrap metal? Yeah so it's kind of like this cargo cult the <laughs> sort of thing going on where they, uh, they don't have the technology to produce metal or they don't have smelting, no. but they've created some sort of like crude, cold metal smithing or something. yeah: yeah, yeah. And uh, and so they started using this in their weapons. Mm and whatnot. It's kind of interesting how militaristic this society is, because there's maybe 500 people uh, in this uh, entire... They're,
1: they're, they're, there's a lot of different uh, thoughts on how many people there are, or, 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 or guesses really. It ranges from about yeah. 50 to 150. Some say 200. We don't actually know how many yeah, okay, people. Yeah. And the island is, is, is approximately the size of uh, Manhattan,
0: from what I uh, understand. So... Okay, yeah, that's that's not a large... Uh, uh, but la- like... large <laughs> enough, like... though, mind yeah, yeah.
1: you. And, and there are also instances yeah. where they had group sex, apparently. They had like gangbangs on the uh, wow. on the beaches, <laughs> in front of
0: um, foreigners. <laughs> I haven't read any of that. I only I know they have uh, they do these rude gestures. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To intimidate uh, the, and and, the and and apparently
1: in uh, his notes because he had like several encounters with them. And he met, I think it was adolescents, kids, essentially. Okay. I think in one of his notes, he writes that there were around six that met him. But there were more people in the forest, he writes. Uh, And he could hear the drumming and he could hear their shouting. And he had two arrows and a bow. Uh, um, But the bow wasn't strong. Uh, The closer he got to them, the more agitated they got. And then they started stringing their bow and then they started shooting. But before that happened, uh, what happened was that... They made rude remarks essentially, and they were laughing at him. They, they do were this, uh, they were mocking this him.
0: Thumping emotion. <laughs> they do.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I just find it's uh, hilarious.
0: Just like, this 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 playing out. It's fascinating in a very bizarre way. This guy coming there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've literally killed everyone they've met yeah. if they could. But in an <laughs> odd way, he has been more successful than any other attempts. Yes. If this is true. Yeah,
1: and we have his notes. I mean, there there have been. Um some so some interactions back in the 60s uh, and I think it was also the 70s there were Indian anthropologists that visited the island uh, but they only examined a deserted um, campsite I think it was um, so 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 this guy uh, has done something that is a uh, yeah, definitely unique. Um, and yeah, and but we shouldn't praise it, where though. So, it's failed. an awful
0: thing to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course. It's, it's, it's tragic, though. I mean, for both sides, for both for the, the natives, but also for, in his case. Um, yeah. but, but, of course, the, the thing is that he, he was so determined to introduce them to Christianity, essentially. He called it uh, Satan's last stronghold. Oh my God! Yeah. Uh, So, so it only goes (laughs) to show his his mindset uh, on on these. Uh, And and he also wrote something about uh, essentially. um, Of course, I'm just quoting from mine now, but uh, he hopes to meet them uh, standing next to God's throne, praising praising God in their own language.
0: Man, if we could so, go back in time and read the mindset of an Anglo Saxon missionary <laughs> in Scandinavia or something like that, I, I don't Irish, know what they would say, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: Irish monks. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, but because this
0: is kinda interesting here. Mm, mm. Of course, this culture is extremely alien to us but there are certain things that just translate very well <laughs> like these humping like this simulated sex yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of thing uh, this is very classic warrior culture sort of behavior yeah because that i'm sure there was there must have been some equivalent of that in prehistoric scandinavia as well because you oh, see that in the sexual metaphors uh, sexual humiliation and mm. and stuff like that in the norse sources as well mm. when you insult somebody you basically you know say defaming your enemy as the passive recipient of a sexual encounter yep. in which you are playing the active parts in an oddly non-gay way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pick up, pick yeah. Up
1: because as I mentioned uh, is, is we have that one recorded instance where uh, where they essentially had group sex on the beach in front of, I don't remember exactly who was standing in the boats or, or what, what their agenda was. The men were acting aggressively towards them shooting with arrows and what-have-you. Uh, and then suddenly women came out of the forest and they just started having a gangbang. It was it was all over the place uh, and then it suddenly just stopped and then went into the forest again.
0: I googled and literally the first thing that pops up yeah. is uh Daily Mail article. Oh, okay, well there you go. <laughs> it says, the full story of the sex-crazy tribe cut off from the world for 30,000 years. Juicy. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty juicy, yeah. I think at this point, just let them be alone. They've had so many opportunities to voice their opinion and I think it's very unambiguous.
1: But I think it's also, uh, to be frank, I think it's also interesting to observe their uh, view on foreigners. And that they have yeah. a zero tolerance to anyone that isn't native to their own habitat, essentially. Um, so, so they haven't really been exposed to the outside world all that much. Um, but if, if there has been some exposure, it has been definitely people have been like showing up and doing like this guy did. Which, which could piss Central Central off East. anyone, I think. Um,
0: yeah, you would so. expect so. And I think that this is something that we see all over in these uh, archaic societies, that they're all kind of ethnocentric. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Good the Central East is a great example of this. They, they just fuck up whoever comes around and I think that that's was like the base attitude of very many uh, cultures in the past unless the other culture wandering in could assert themselves or like
1: yeah topple uh, yeah. the uh, the hierarchy in a way uh, and yeah yeah but I think there's, there's this hostility echoes into prehistory between two two groups of people essentially uh, of course, one group not being a, a, an actual group, but like uh, either people who just wash ashore, <laughs> who just were yeah. unfortunate enough to survive for long enough to get pounded uh, into mincemeat by these guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, see, and then they still <clears throat> haven't recovered his body from from what I understand. Um, okay, so, so he's yeah. still. You know, fermenting
0: uh, in in the sand.
1: <laughs> what a fate! No, but, but as I said, you know, I think there's this echoes into prehistory. This view on something that's different and in a way perhaps unknown should yeah. be treated with contempt and hostility, uh, and you shouldn't you shouldn't interact with it.
0: You don't have to go that far back into um, Scandinavian history to see how suspicious the society yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Ture Eric Lund, uh, the novelist, but he he also writes some great essays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had an ancestor who could read, and this was a, you know, inland yeah, peasant yeah, 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 society, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, coal burners and... Uh, and and, and uh, alphabets, and, and,
1: you know, yeah.
0: So this guy could read, and this was apparently a huge social problem <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in his local community. People were very hostile towards this guy doing this shit that none of them could.
1: Yeah, but it also... And that
0: didn't play any function in their local society that much. Like, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. But,
0: and it's also like, it's, it's sort of like this uh, aspect of knowing your place. Mm, which is very mm, important mm, in Norse mm, society mm, you mm, always mm. have to oh, know yes. uh, when to do this or when not to do that yep. and you have to have a reason for doing whatever it is you do mm. you know mm. we tend to think because modern society is so easygoing that uh, the people have always been so there, there was no chill about certain things no. especially things that didn't make sense to people
1: mm. one of the things when we're talking about uh, the Norse society that is well mostly overlooked uh this this Extremely hierarchical society, um, yeah, and uh, and I think you know, and, and the fact that it is an honor society, not least of all, um, yeah, and that if you if if you were unfortunate enough to, to kill someone that is of higher social status than you, then all hell would break loose, um, because yeah. you're, you're, you're 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 underneath that guy, <laughs> and then you need to equalize, <laughs> and then there's a lot of heads that need to roll.
0: Um, it seems like Iceland had sort of this idea that uh, Icelandic society is supposed to be different from the obvious hierarchical society mm. in, uh, in Norway, for instance, mm. uh, where you have uh, more aristocratic power. Yeah. But effectively, the people who moved to Iceland were people who were on the sharp end of the stick, mm. uh, who were very powerful back home. So Iceland was full of these chieftains' families who were just living on old honor, you know? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Outcast kings, you could say. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Money ran out a long time ago, but they still got their... The name. The family name. they still got their name. On Iceland, they have this idea. You know, the same idea probably existed legally in in Norway, but on Iceland, especially, you have this idea that everybody's equal. Every free man Mm, is equal, mm, mm. in theory. But in practice, not so much. You know? Nobody... Is as good as somebody who has a good family. Mm. If you're just a rich trader, but you come from humble roots, you're nothing. Yeah, you're, I uh, mean, you're you're, you're dirt essentially. Insults in Norse society is like if it's between equals, you can have you can have friendly banter. Yeah, yeah. But if you're below somebody or somebody b- believes that they are above you, mm. and you say the same thing to them. Like, there are instances of that in the sagas, of people being like, your life is ruined because you made the wrong joke mm. at a party to the wrong guy. You can't sit anywhere you want at a party. No. Nope. You're seated according to your social stature yes. or, like, how people view you. Mm. This whole idea that the, the Viking Age or Norse Society in general was, like, this free-for-all of, like, the these anarchic... Um, Free farmer um, societies. Yeah, that's, that's all below. L- liberal societies, yeah. you know, there's no... It was not an equal no, opportunity society no, 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 no. at
1: all. As far, as far from that society uh, as you can get really. But there you have you know, like people injecting um, their own ideologies and their own need to identify with the past for whatever reason, where they also need to change the past to reflect their own modern needs. For better sure. or worse, you know. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. No, so, so definitely I think that, you know, this encounter this missionary had uh, with these natives isn't the first
0: um, instance uh, in, in, in uh, human history. There are many examples, of course, from the sagas or, or other other sources of, of missionaries getting uh, fucked up by the locals, drowned or beaten to death, you know. Mm. Speaking of which... That was actually quite funny. I had this in my notes for today because I wanted to bring it up. It sort of ties into what we've been talking about, you know, that there's a there's an ongoing gang war in uh, in our beloved Copenhagen, yeah, uh, causing a lot of fuss and misery there. Our, our our Rome, our Northern Rome, or we've talked about this many times before, probably, but Copenhagen is our probably our favorite city in in all of Scandinavia. Huh. But I was. Kind of delighted to hear that there was a, a guy got stabbed in the ass. There's nothing more humiliating for a warrior than getting your, uh, your buttocks wounded. That's like a direct sexual insult. And actually, it's referenced in the law. The idea of the klomhog, which means the shameful hue, mm. the shame wound. Mm. Uh, yeah, like There are Norse laws uh, saying that if somebody uh, wounds another man's buttocks, Uh, This is a humiliation that is punished as if you were castrating somebody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just as bad. It's it's extremely serious. It says something about the stigma Uh, in that society. The basic metaphor here is that Norse culture presumes that men do the stabbing and the women, you know, they receive it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just how we seem to fit from a sexual biological perspective, empirically. But it's when this gets transferred to the social domain and the gender roles that things get really interesting. Because homosexuality wasn't really a concept back then. They didn't have a word that meant gay. They had other words though. <laughs> that mean a variety of different things. But um, well suffice to say. Sexuality was something that was practiced. Just like everything else in our society was practiced. According to certain uh, norms. Certain taboos. And certain mores. So when a man is on the receiving end of a sexual encounter. Whether this is implied or literal. This is a syntax error of his masculinity, and it means that he's not really a man. You're not just not a man, you're an unman, you're an anti-man. It means that you lack the properties of being a man without having the properties of being a woman. And you cannot be trusted to pull your weight in the collaborative perspective of gender that Norse society had. And if you accuse somebody falsely of being an unman, that's as bad, if not worse, than being an unman yourself. That sort of accusation would get you booted from society. And this has led some scholars to refer to Norse culture as possibly the most homophobic society in all of human history. But that's kind of a harsh assessment, and I think also an anachronistic one, given that Norse society didn't really look at uh, Mm. sexuality in the way Mm. that we do. But now that Danish gangs are adopting these, you know, um, these warrior Iron Age sort of tactics. I wonder what comes next. Are they gonna have like garnet encrusted AK forty sevens? <laughs> like when are we gonna?
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm. What I'm hoping is, of course, not just garnet encrusted uh, AK forty sevens, but also uh, press uh decorated. Uh, you know, knife. Baseball caps. Baseball caps. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, that would yeah. be really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I'm hoping. Um, that something like that will will uh, develop
0: uh. well if it was our gang that would be a no-brainer <laughs> but um, we're talking as if this isn't the case but actually like this is a huge staple of gangster culture already this display mm,
1: mm, you know? mm. yeah I mean yeah. the thing is that you display your wealth yes uh, you just yeah. dis- you dis- display your power essentially through what you're wearing um and it' it isn't necessarily through actual um precious metals or precious stones, of course it's more like brands and stuff like that, but it has more or less the same
0: um connotations I would say as as actually wearing uh precious metals if we tried, we could come up with an endless amount of parallels between gang warfare and iron age warfare oh yeah, yeah yeah,
1: yeah, but also but also where you have uh endemic warfare. Uh, yeah, you don't exactly, necessarily yeah. have like people actually getting stabbed and, and and killed, but you have like people just showing muscle And, and having yeah. an enemy just to have an enemy because then you gather people around you, you know It's like a rabbit. Yeah, you point. need
0: to, uh, so... it's it's kind of like this uh, like, a, like a piece of wood can't burn on its own, it needs something to reflect upon, you know mm, So you mm. build a little fire. The equivalent of this sort of stuff Like these minor raids is like, I don't know, like Chucking hand grenades, which is like a thing in in Sweden now, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Using hand grenades as a as a means of performative display, almost of your mm, mm, military mm. potential and uh, and warrior uh... prowess in a way, I would say. Also, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so
1: so so yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of uh, parallels and analogies uh, one can draw between, as I said, the Iron Age societies, be it a Viking Age and be, would definitely be pre-Viking.
0: Well, it serves to demonstrate the point that this very pleasant, high-trust society that we live in is sort of an anomaly in, in certain ways. Well, I guess it is and it isn't, because uh, our ancestors were desensitivized for violence, and there was a high degree of suspicion in the society. I think that you know the, the local community was very strong, because that's the thing, you know, there's a high trust within your community, but there's, a, like, there's the base expectation outside of it is zero. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Definitely, um, and and of course, you also have to 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 um, touch upon the fact that uh, you know the, the family uh, and and the clans played a much larger uh, and important role back then. Um, and just going back to the eighteenth century, nineteenth century, you know, uh, this still plays a role, which of course has um, uh, since then uh, fallen more and more and more out of use and become more and more archaic in a way. Yeah, it's like yeah. you're 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 tied by blood, but in name oh, and in 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 actuality. But uh, but it doesn't really uh, weigh you down, <laughs> as, it, as it might have done in the past. Um, and we have a lot of sources that deal and touch upon this um, uh, of, of being re- related to, uh,
0: to to an asshole essentially, and uh, and how and how you have to
1: protect that asshole.
0: <laughs> it makes the the Norse approach to family a bit unique, also. Is that your family is defined through the individual? Mm. Uh, so, two siblings only have the same family network until one of them gets uh, married. Yep. Yeah, like me and my wife, for instance. Mm. Uh, in in the Icelandic perspective, um, we are both uh, part of the same network now. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, but my brother might not have the same network. Nope. Uh, exactly. And then you have, like... Then it becomes, like, a range of priorities about your, um, like, who your loyalties are. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, it's yeah, okay. Absolutely. Every time there's a conflict, you know, and, and in a society where people are... Many people are related to each other. It's very easy to create conflicting interests. Mm, 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 mm. It's your duty to uh, to be able to help your family to a certain degree. Or you, or you have to support them in conflicts and stuff like that. Uh, but there are also... Situations where there's direct conflicts between family members. Mm. Uh, it's, it's 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 interesting to reflect on it.
1: I think, uh, especially yeah. since that we're, we're 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 putting our nose into the past as much as we are. Um, yeah. you, you have to use. Uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, interesting because so. I you know
0: I had back in Norway I had the opportunity to actually discuss um, the sort of conflicts that arise in the sagas with uh, Afghan people. Mm, 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 and uh, they, it seemed to resonate with them because that's the sort of conflicts they might be familiar with. Yeah. Well, not, not completely, of course, because uh, in their society there's a lot of religious conflict, of course. Sure, sure, sure. We, we've had that in Scandinavia as well, but okay. it's a different kind of thing going on. Yeah, course. yeah, yeah. But this uh, idea of like warlords, uh, violence between families, feuds. That sort of thing is very um, relatable hmm. to people. But also the the, the the concept
1: of honor, uh, how you protect yeah, yourself and, and in your family, and then you have, <laughs> oh, oh, then you have a yeah, spiral. This, <laughs> this idea, like,
0: because in, in, in Western society, violence is always the last resort. Uh, but in Norse society, it was a palette, it was a tool that you could use. Oh, yeah. And very often just the the norms of society, the rules of the game, mm-hmm are just in a manner where you don't really have a choice mm. about um, um, avenging a relative's death mm, mm, mm. or uh, punching somebody in the face who insulted you. you know, it's because if you refuse to do these sorts of things, you're inviting other people to abuse you, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But also when you make a promise, uh, you have to stick by it, uh, regardless.
0: You need to stand by
1: your word. Yeah, 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 and there, there's this one saga. Uh, you, I, I'm pretty sure you know it more than me do. I can't remember from the top of my head. Uh, huh. But it's uh, about this guy who worships Frey. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Did you remember his name?
0: Yeah, the saga of Ramkell uh, yeah, Freyskoda. Yeah, 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 uh, uh, yeah Ramkell Freyskoda,
1: where 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 he you know is a uh, well, I would say devoted uh, worshipper of, of Frey. But yeah, so he has a horse, and he he devotes this horse to to Frey uh and he's the only one that can ride it uh and then there's this this shepherd this boy this uh low status boy who who who, uh, who then needs to to collect the sheep uh and it's you know getting late and he needs to get the job done and uh on the pasture there's several horses and this is the only horse that he can ride because it's docile enough yeah Uh, yeah. and then he rides it uh until it breaks a sweat and then uh, when he's done he he jumps off the horse and then runs back to the farm and of course, then you have uh, Ramchel, who then you know realizes that someone has rid the source, and then uh, he you know he knows who it is, and then he mm. travels up to the mountains uh, where the uh, the sheep is, and then. Um or up to the hills, and then where the sheep is, and then, uh, of course, he finds this, this chubby teenager <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: sitting on a, on a fence or something, and then he just literally just jumps on top of it and he, you know, plants the axe in a skull. It's essentially like a drive-by shooting, but ride-by right chopping. A <laughs> <laughs> ride-by right chopping, uh, I like that.
0: Uh, what the sagas are often describing is worst-case scenarios. Hmm. And it's an affirmation and a critique of society, in hmm. a sense, hmm. because it's better to do what you said you would do even if it has horrible consequences, than making promises that you can't follow through. Yeah, the sagas are full of that sort of stuff. People who are forced under circumstance to do this and this, even though, like, arguably it would cause less suffering to just not do it. You know? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah.
1: But 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 the fact of the matter is that um, that definitely. I mean, you have to uphold uh, the promises you make, uh, and uh, by not doing so, then then, then you're essentially the uh, the weaker part. Uh, in this, in this uh, trade, of, if you will, um, yeah. between the two parties, and uh, and of course you know this spirals into a, a violent spiral unlike no other, and it ends you know with him losing his farm and uh, because someone injects themselves into the conflict.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So so it's an interesting, uh, I mean, uh, story and how it unfolds. Uh, what a fucking society, didn't... though. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah I know
0: it's 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 it's, yeah.
1: it's 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 interesting in in retrospect I mean for us to to look back uh, on these stories of course which has uh, re- been retold and perhaps also you know somewhat altered um over time but uh but still they 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 uh, you know they have this 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 aura um over them that
0: is uh, still very much juicy to this day. <laughs> it's what uh, what uh, often yeah. says. You know, it's not that the past was necessarily all that good. It's just that everything today has this weird off taste. <laughs> well I think put that's, a, that's yeah. a good uh, good way to put it.
1: Um, so yeah, so should we look into the last? Um... Well, also the uh, Staffordshire horde helmets. Oh,
0: oh yeah, yeah. So uh, this is fresh news they they reconstructed um, they made a reconstruction at least
1: (laughs) oh
0: they created something they created a helmet (laughs) based on pieces from the Staffordshire horde Um, it looks kind of like a Roman ridge helmets yeah a lot of the Germanic helmets are based on Roman cavalry helmets basically
1: yeah I mean so the thing is that of course the Staffordshire uh, horde helmet it's a uh, a helmet that is made out of bits and bobs almost like the frankenstein monster yeah uh, <laughs> that's a good uh, good comparison uh, so, so essentially they just cannibalized uh whatever they could find and just put it all on one uh helmet uh, and they even omitted parts uh like uh press press black or or like the uh the foils uh the step foils um so for whatever reason, I didn't include it. I have no idea why. I guess it just didn't match their expectations of how it might have looked like. When you're working as a, a conservator, you know, um, you, you, you work with the material a lot. So, so I'm not saying that they don't necessarily have something to go on, uh, and it's just all speculation. But of course, I mean, it's, it's an educated guess at best. Um, and yeah. there's no way of us telling if there's one helmet in that horde or if there's five helmets or fragments of five helmets. Um, so 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 one should be really careful. But what I think is probably most problematic is is how they just kind of shaped um, these foils to fit how they imagine it might have looked like. You know, they they kind of okay, like yeah. they kind of like forcing it into place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can kind of tell that with uh, um, the pieces; they don't really look like they match.
1: No, the and and, uh, and if you, if, if of course the, the analogy they use is, uh, you know, the late, late Roman helmets, yeah.
0: um,
1: which of course you know, also derives uh, originally from uh, the uh, western area, uh, areas of uh, of Asia, so like Western Asia, uh, and the Mediterranean, Mediterranean region. Uh, in, uh, in, in the eastern part of the Mediterranean region, um, into the uh, you know, um, Middle East and uh, the Near East. Um, so it all leads back to there, um, the helmet construction, that is, the ridge helmet construction, most likely. But anyways, uh, so, so of course, you know, by the by, by late Roman times, uh, in the 4th, uh, 5th and 6th century, um, there's no doubt that the Germanic tribes that interacted with the Romans would uh, borrow ideas and, and kind of make their own styles that kind of resemble um, the ground shape of a Roman uh, ridge helmet. And we have one which is the Fern Pass helmet, which is uh, mm. a helmet that looks extremely odd uh, if you compare it to other Roman helmets, but it resembles them Closely enough that there's no doubt that uh, it's it's uh, model after a, a, you know the the, the ridge helmets uh, that were worn by mm. uh, both uh, the cavalry, but also perhaps even by the infantry. Uh, one shouldn't say that this is an unlikely reconstruction, and and some helmets definitely might have uh, borrowed more elements from the late Roman ridge helmets than others. But of mm. course, by the sixth, uh, seventh century, uh, and in the North Sea basin uh, mm-hmm. you for instance have the Sutton Hoo helmet which also kind of emulates parts of uh, the uh, the tradition from uh, the, the late Roman Ridge helmets but there's enough deviation that it has its own character its own style so it doesn't try to replicate mm-hmm. something directly uh, and a lot of scholars would say that uh, the Sutton Hoo helmet uh, is definitely a Germanic take on a Roman Ridge helmet um yeah so 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 they have their own identity now uh they don't need to emulate uh, the the ridge helmet um, um like for instance, with the firm pass helmet. Uh, of course, that one is also heavily restored, so one uh, we'll needs to take that into account when, when, when one looks at that particular helmet.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah. So
1: you're also injecting and you, you, you're using analogies um, and comparisons with other helmets and, and fragments of helmets um, to, to, to make you know, even a restoration um, but yeah, so 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 definitely, I think that the uh, the the Staffordshire hoard helmet is uh, is uh, telling a story where the uh, the team that worked on the reconstruction uh, kind of wants to make it Romanesque, Romanish. Uh, yeah. Um, They're the playing on that the card heavily, um, and um, I'm not saying it it doesn't look nice. It looks blingier blinge shit really uh it's, yeah. it's 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 definitely a nice looking helmet but is it just a gessamit is it just um uh, you know uh essentially a fantasy helmet and 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 definitely it is um to, to be frankly honest um, yeah
0: because this is a bit of a slippery slope i suppose i i think that uh, this was um this door was sort of like uh, opened uh, especially perhaps by wolf Hedonus, oh, yeah, who've been yeah, doing yeah, yeah. Their, their their um tentative reconstructions uh of mm. helmets that could be mm. based on very uh careful uh like s- stepping around and kind of like looking at different pieces of helmets that mm. you know where the rest of the artifact doesn't really survive yeah. and looking at iconography iconography and just oh yeah, you know putting together something that c- could be. Oh. And they've done it very tastefully and very carefully, I think. Mm, but mm, this opens mm. up also like new questions about um, where does it end, in a way.
1: Yeah, uh, and I think that's definitely uh, what the issue is concerning this reconstruction, is that... Also, by making a reconstruction, you're also making a statement in a way. Uh, you're telling that this is how it looked like. Uh, that's not to say that I can't like revise the helmet in the future, or make alterations, uh, etc. As I did with the Sutton Hoo helmet, for instance. Mm, uh, when you yeah. first uh, assembled the Sutton Hoo helmet, it, it looked like nothing like it looks like now. Um, so, 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 so there's there's that, and and they done that uh, with other. Um, like Vendel period or or Merovingian period helmets as well from for instance from yeah. Sweden uh and they Yeah, there's also them, the um,
0: so. Is it Valsiarda 8 with with the splints? Um It's one of the Valsgärde graves with that uh, with the uh, leg splints. Oh yeah, 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 Or yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and uh or arms the armor pieces. Yeah. Uh, the, that the parts totally could legs, be uh, so. uh, yeah. like uh like uh, like, a, like a torso. Oh yeah,
1: uh, yeah, yeah, piece, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But it turned out that this was not <laughs> The case. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah 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 I think uh, there's still people that believe it might have had uh, that uh, function though. I uh, think it actually oh, yeah. was used as a torso uh, protection, you know. Um so uh, I'm I'm not in that camp, mind you. Um but um the thing is that even though you do um you know publish uh, later on and revising uh, a a reconstruction a reconstruction or, or a suggestive reconstruction uh, there might still be people that disagree um and because we do have like splint uh like upper body protection uh from other cultures yeah um, so so that's why uh some people then uh, insist that this m- must have been something similar um but uh but that's why it's so important to have context 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 uh and and document everything thoroughly but but yeah so in terms of the uh Staffordshire horde helmet it's just too fragmented to 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 to, to even start making a reconstruction to be frankly honest and i think one of the reasons they did it was because um it will now it, it will it will generate interest and people will visit uh and it will also kind of represent the, the efforts of uh, everything that's happened from uh, the, uh, the find was uh, you know, presented to, to the public and to, to now starting to take shape in a way. Of course the helmet is, is very different um, to people's minds than a sword. A sword is an extension of your arm. A helmet is something you put on your head and where you have your head, you have the person, so it is even more intimate uh, than 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 a shield uh, or a sword or something, which mm. is why it, it it also becomes much more personal,
0: uh, which is also why the Sutton who helmet is 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 so so popular uh, you know at the British museum. Any fool can hold a sword in a way, but when you put the helmet on your head, mm. you become the warlord in a way you know you become the yeah
1: yeah 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 um which is which is you know for, for us modern people it's uh it's a symbolism that we understand and that's also why you know like uh, uh like late roman emperors wore diadems because uh it 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 has this it sends this uh message to the recipient um, that I'm unique and this is something limited to me. And later on, you, you know, you start getting the crowns, um, the Vis- Visigoths, etc. You know, they develop their own crowns, and and that, of course, you know, later on um, in the Middle Ages becomes fully fledged crowns, um, either directly from the uh, radiate uh, diadem headwear that the emperors wore in the third uh, century uh, AD, or 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 from you know through other channels. Um, but it's something you put on your head. Uh, and yeah. it has a, a lot of symbolism. And then later on you have hats, you know. Hats, <laughs> hats, hats, hats. To stand out in a crowd, of course.
0: It's kind of funny what you said about the, uh, the sword being an extension of the arm. Mm. It's kind of old news by now, but they found this Lombard. This Langobard, I don't want to say warrior, but possibly buried with a prosthetic knife hand. Mm, 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 yeah. Mm, mm, mm. So a Longobard, male, buried in the 6th century. Uh, somebody, I wouldn't say chopped his hand off, but he amputated his hand. His his hand was amputated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no other he, way to He, say he did
1: it. it himself, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, definitely. He,
0: he He lost his hand. We don't know why it could have been a battle wound. Could have, you know, mangled his hand some other way. But the thing is that there seems to have been... A prosthetic knife that he added. Very Mad Max ish. Yeah, very, very much so. <laughs> and one of the things that kind of amazed me there is that I think people imagine this as so now he can kind of continue on fighting, but the knife here uh, isn't exactly something that I would like ride into the battlefield with. I think. No, and
1: and and we have to keep in mind that the knife is a tool.
0: Yeah, he could have used it to eat with, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Uh, it reminds us of Evil Dead, of course, mm. you know, oh, oh, with, yeah. uh, with, with Ash, you know, how he oh, loses yes. his, his hand and he gets the chainsaw mm. attached. Mm. Before this came to light, you know, I was already drawing comparisons between uh, Evil Dead and Egil's Saga Einhanda. And that's a legendary saga about a guy who gets his hand either bitten off by a giant or uh, it's chopped up. He loses his hand anyway. It's mangled. He, he saves a dwarf baby or something, a dwarf child. Which is a bizarre concept really. <laughs> a dwarf child. It's not something that we usually uh, think Encounter of in, uh, a lot. Yeah. No. And in return this dwarf, you know, dwarves are good smiths. So uh, he makes him a sword hand, that an attachment to... for his for his arm, so that he can go on, you know, and chop people up. <laughs> <laughs> Egil's saga inhendai is absolutely one of my favorite uh, sagas in the entire Old Norse corpus mm. uh, also because it's such a burlesque tale it has so many uh, clever and funny little twists like there's, a, there's an instance uh, in the saga where he, uh, he receives help from a, from a giantess and he takes a ring off his hand and he offers it to her mm-hmm. and she's like I'm sorry I can't receive this ring because my my mother will think I'm a whore Oh, yeah, 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 that's true, yeah. It's a parody of another motif. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where... Um, uh, Sexual sometimes... favors, but, yeah. Yeah, exactly, because there is a pornographic saga called Bosa Saga. Oh, yes. Which is not very good, but, like, much of the story revolves around the protagonist going around uh, basically sleeping with, with the princesses. And he crawls into their bed at night, and uh, they all refuse him until he pays them off with a gold ring. There seems to be, like, this motif that... Sexual favors are bought with gold in, mm, in the mm, sagas. Mm. And this is kind of alluded to maybe in, in Egil's saga, in Henda, which means literally the saga of Egil One, one Hand. hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's great. It's also the first mention in world literature, I think, of digital chess. Yeah. No, really? Um, yeah. Digital chess. It's a magical board game. Plays yeah, but, 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 but chess. Yeah.
1: Chess. Okay. Yeah. Well, not chess. No, it's, it's a yeah. boor- magical board game yeah, without but it's specifying a, what kind of board game.
0: Because there's this part of the story where the protagonists meet an old giantess, basically. Mm-hmm. And she starts talking about how she had to go into the Underworld and sleep with the chieftain of the Underworld. Like, the devil, basically. But the devil is Odin, <laughs> in this story. Uh, yeah, so of course. Of course yeah, so is. A, yeah, this is. <laughs> like Odin, Prince of Darkness. <laughs> but she, she goes down there and she has to retrieve a magical board game, where the, the pieces move by themselves. And you can play, play against the game itself, like the AI. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and um, she tells about all the ordeals she had to go through with uh, Thor and Odin in mm-hmm. the underworld. And basically, they're just like painted as these sexual s- sadists. <laughs> and they tear her skin off and light her on fire or something like that. As, you know, the dialogue progresses, uh, you realize how ugly this crone must be. because they don't describe her when they meet her they just say like she starts talking about what she's been through and only at the end of the conversation you realize what this person looks like it's a very great (laughs) (laughs) narrative tool but the sagas sometimes do this with giantesses when they're really ugly actually they um, they will start like oh this um, giantess came walking and then they go into a very like elaborate baroque uh, description of just how ugly she is you know how horrifying it is to see her, um, and they will maybe finish off with an understatement. I think, I think it's Grim Saga Lodenkina. Mm. There's, there's an episode where the the hero is laying on the beach, bleeding out. He's about to die, and uh, he's basically up there because you know of unfortunate circumstances where like uh, an evil stepmother kidnapped his wife to be, and he had to celebrate his wedding without her. Uh-huh. And it just turned into like a drinking party instead. <laughs> he moves on with his life. And then later on, he meets this, uh, this old crone. And it goes into this how long her nose is, you know, her big lips, her saggy tits. And he thought she was rather unkissable because uh, of the booger that dangled from her nose or something. <laughs> yeah, she, she basically says, I will save your life if you sleep with me. Do I do I sleep with this woman and live to see another day, or do I just die? <laughs> uh, but An ultimatum. Does. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. yeah. But he, he does. He he sleeps with her, and um and it turns out that that was a good choice because that's actually his old fiance who was cursed. Oh. And that's not her real. Uh, massage. You could say that how she actually looks
1: like. Or yeah,
0: yeah. She, she's wearing like hmm. a, a skin that yeah. she actually crawls out of in the saga, and she leaves it there like a, like a suit <laughs> at the end of the... the
1: like a tarantula of or a snake? Just yeah, like kind of like that. Just... She just
0: crawls out of her skin and, uh, and leaves it at the end of the bed. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good, yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think it's interesting, though, that we do have these uh, hideous uh, women. Uh, where we, well, yeah. For instance, in Denmark, uh, we have like, this, uh, this uh, slangenpat Oh uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This 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 uh essentially uh her tits is just hanging down like
0: Yeah, it's this this troll woman uh this... yeah. it's not just any troll, it's it's a person, it's an individual.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and and she yeah. feeds um like creatures, um and even animals, uh with her mm. with her breast essentially. Um and that's uh the uh the small gul that we have. Uh, some of them actually depict uh, something that might be, the the slanging pots. Oh, uh, I'm not oh, sure yeah, if you uh, Fleming Fleming uh, Kaul, uh Kaul has been uh, uh, working on this uh, quite extensively. Uh, that's,
0: wow, that's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, and, like, because are like yeah, gold foils with uh, yeah, the small, with small long fleekers. breasts. Mm. Oh, interesting. Well, that's and uh,
1: slanging pots that uh, they do have in Denmark. I don't think we have that uh, in Norway. Uh, anymore no, i've never at heard least. of it no no uh, but, it's, it's but, it's a, but it's a in classic
0: in Denmark, at least it's a classic trope though like the crone yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and you also have this uh this um, uh one of these uh, f- uh you know uh, gold foils essentially uh you do have uh this head in the stomach oh yeah uh, yeah they have a f- yeah like the almost oranges. like the,
0: you know in the in the in the the margins of 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 the known world in medieval yeah. maps and whatnot. Yeah, 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 they yeah, have, yeah. They have the face on the torso. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. apparently, there's also uh, folkloristic um, like descriptions. Uh, they represent something. They're, 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 as I said, they're, they're, they're like a personified um, ailment, perhaps, or, 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 or they might pres- represent something like that. And that's also why they made them into foils as a like an offering, like almost like. Um, you did later on uh with pilgrims for instance they made like these small uh if if you're if you're if your hand is ailing or something you know you, know, you make a hand
0: uh, yeah like yeah please, please heal me exactly An offering you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have that in in, in the viking just gonna have you have that yeah, yeah, the yeah. amber feet yes The amber feet that are like exactly either worn as amulets or or sacrifice yes
1: yes yes and you even uh before then in in antiquity you had like um uh, if you were pregnant, uh, like women, that wore like these amulets uh, shaped like a vagina, essentially, mm.
0: uh,
1: or a vulva. That is, of course, uh, and uh, that the pregnancy would uh, go as planned. You're putting your hopes and your everything into into the amulet. I guess it doesn't hurt. Is uh, a thought, you know? So, so these uh, these these small foils, these gullgubber, as we call them, yeah. uh, might might symbolize something like that.
0: Oh, that's interesting, yeah. Um,
1: so, uh, so this is, of course, you know, uh, new research uh, done uh, by the uh, National Museum uh, in Copenhagen, um, done by Fleming Cowell. How do you pronounce it in, in English?
0: Jeez, we got to wrap it up. I've been going yeah. at it for a couple of hours. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's more than just a couple. Though. Good run, good run.
0: <laughs> for listeners, it'll be just. About one hour, maybe. But yeah, we fit a lot into this episode, as usual.
1: Yeah, I think I think definitely we can uh, draw a line in in the sand now.
0: And if anybody crosses, us, we kill them. Mm.
1: Well, I think that's pretty much it then. Uh, so thank you for having me on yet again. Thank you for coming. Oh, that that's you know we didn't even need to ask. Oh, you. well course. I won't stop. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely always show up oh, whenever yeah, be whenever you need me to 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 to, to co-host. Uh, Brute Norris, you no. just let me know. Yes,
0: and I certainly will. <laughs> well, this is the point where I actually accidentally deleted my part of the voice track. So so I'm actually re-recording my part of the entire ending now. Anyway, Axel, don't drink all of your apple wine in one go. No,
1: I'll, I'll make sure to, to ration it.
0: Yeah, good, that'll add a few more days to your lifespan. <laughs> and,
1: and, uh, and yeah, uh, as with you, you know... Um... Do, do, do give the uh, uh, Vinland wine uh, another go.
0: Oh, absolutely. I will. Next season, I promise. So adios. Adios. Talk to you soon. Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out, because that would be unmanly. As for you, dear listener, if you don't support the Noise Patreon, that's okay. But I would be mad happy if you did. It is your patronage that allows me to upgrade my equipment, buy research materials such as books, and produce more content, more varied, more often. And it helps me sleep a little better at night. But you can also support the project by sharing articles, writing reviews or introducing a friend to the podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Brute Noise Podcast, where we've been walking backwards into the future. Tack för mig.